So uh, for Don's sake, just so he knows, uh, we're not going to cover a lot of text today. So that should work out pretty well. You get some time to go home. Uh, that wasn't intentional. I prepared this for two weeks ago, and then as I announced last week, I wasn't, um, I, was, I was getting a little bit uh, ahead of myself. So you remember last week, just to recap, because what we're going to look at today, chapter 15 of Ezekiel, by the way, is really a continuation of the end of chapter 14. Remember at the end of chapter 14, we had the uh, rough equivalent in Ezekiel of the four horsemen. So those were, if you remember right, judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, pestilence. Oh, sword, so war, famine, uh, wild beasts or destruction, and pestilence, disease. Remember that? Yeah. And uh, those four come upon. And we talked about how they're kind of broad um, descriptions of the various ways that God brings his wrath or judgment upon um, the unbelieving world. But even in the midst of that, you know, there's believing Noah, Daniel, and Job, right? Those three. And their, their, their stories are meant to, you're, when you hear those names, you're supposed to remember their stories, how God preserved them in the faith despite their experience. Noah with the world-destroying flood, right? Um, Daniel in Babylon under tyrant kings, right? And lion's den and burning fiery furnace, I suppose, too. You can have that in mind from his book. Um, and then also with Job, you know, everything's taken from him except for his life, basically, right? But God saw him through in faith, right? But their faith doesn't save you. So you're, they're being commended to you as examples of um, remaining steadfast in the word of God in the midst of trial. If you want to hear, hear today's sermon summarized in one sentence, there it is, right? So remain with the word of God and he'll see you through. But if you try to go about these things with your own resources, what's going to happen? That's exactly where Satan wants you, is trying to figure out these things on your own. All right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, go. Based on your sermon, mm. um, when you talked about the devil tempting Jesus, Right. And the gospel, the long gospel. Yeah. What does the devil think about the gospel? I said he did, in the sermon, I said he doesn't even know it. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. He can't believe it. Yeah, right? He still made that comment according to, what was it? God right. Right. Like, like commanding the angels to bear you up lest you strike yeah. your foot against yeah. the stone. Right. But he left out part of it which was to guard you in his ways, in God's ways, right? So the point was that God will command his angels to keep you with God's word. That's what angels do. They speak God's word to you. They're not there to like catch you when you fall off of a pinnacle of a temple. I, I mean, it's, that's such a gross misuse of the promise to the point where it's not even the promise anymore. He's distorted that promise into something grossly different and not what it was for. They, you can't even understand it. He, yeah, that's what I suggested. I don't know. It's maybe speculative a little bit, but um, it makes no sense. And, and this is true for anybody who comes from outside the Christian church especially, and those who come from more legalistic traditions, you know, maybe thinking Lent. The Roman church is that way. They have a lot of like mandatory things that you do during Lent, right? Days of obligation and specific practices. And then they come into our church and we're like, no, there's nothing expected of you. Just simply receive. We're like, what? It's like, I was thinking about it this morning. Like, we don't even really ask for offerings anymore. I mean, we do. It's in the bulletin. But it's not like, like here's a plate. Put some money in. You know, there's like, 
And it doesn't really matter all that much, actually. We also know that continually asking people doesn't actually work. <laughs> I mean, at some point it's just like, that's fatiguing and I don't want to hear your spiel anymore. Yeah. So um, I was in a congregation where we printed all the numbers every week and make appeals every week. And it ended up being the only thing that anybody ever heard. And they never heard that their sins were forgiven, basically. Even though it was being preached, they just, yeah. All you guys talk about is money. So, yeah. So people coming from a different tradition don't even really understand, right? That it's, this is not about what you do, but it's what God uh, does for you. Yeah. And so Satan is, he's the prince of this world, right? And he lives by the rules of this world. They're, he loves the law. He loves telling you what to do. Not necessarily what God told you to do, but still, right? He wants you to feel the great weight and burden without any sense of relief or forgiveness. That's what he wants. To despair, be hopeless, right? Black pill, right? That's Satan's device, is to black pill you. All right. So, uh, good question. So let's read. Uh, by the way, let's see what we left off, right? Uh, so the last thing that, that the Lord said, behold, some, remember this was good news, but some survivors will be left in it, sons and daughters who will be brought out. Behold, when they come out to you, you will, you shall, actually, this wasn't that great of news. And you see their ways and their deeds. You will be consoled for the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem. So the sons and daughters are the witnesses of the destruction. They themselves having the same character of those who are destroyed. That was my argument. So they're like the guy that you don't kill when you conquer the city so that he can go tell everybody else what happened and why. Um, but you will be consoled. They will console you when you see their ways and their deeds and you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, declares the Lord God. All right, so there's, a, there's another kind of hopelessness or despair there, right? When we see all these things happening around us in this world, great destruction and um, just malicious behavior, uh, tyranny, I don't know, pick your long list of... Do you see the Arizona Secretary of State was uh, accused in, the, in their house of actually taking bribes from the, from the, uh, um, the El Chapo's mob, or El Chapo's gang, what was that called? San, San. San Loa, something like that? Yeah, right? Yeah. So, and guess what they were doing for her? Harvesting ballots. In exchange, she got some, uh, and then, of course, she opens the border, da-da-da-da-da. You see how this all works, right? And you look on that, and you're like, how? She is, right? Is there any hope? And, uh, you know, in one sense, there's not for this world, right? There's destruction. But I think like this, we're supposed to look at these things and say, God did not allow these things to happen without cause, right? And um, Jesus says, when you see all these things taking place, lift up your head, and actually rejoice, for you know your redemption's drawing near. Which is also hard to do, because it's actually living by faith and not by experience. R wars and rumors of wars, and you're supposed to look up and, and celebrate that Jesus is coming soon. Most people are going to say, you're nuts! You're bonkers, right? You know? So, anyway. Yeah, we are kind of nuts. Yep. Nuts for Jesus, that's nice. That's a bumper sticker. But it would be really good if, yeah, coffee's not made out of nuts, otherwise I'd use it. All right. That's just so dumb. Pastor, you're so dumb. All right. Let's read chapter 15. It's only eight verses. 
And the word of the Lord came to the son of man and covered the wood of the vine to cast any wood. The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Will people take a stake from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it, and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less, when the fire has consumed it, and it is charred, can it ever be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord, God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord, when I set my face against them, and I will make the land desolate, because they have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one's, this one's a little hard to pull out the gospel, although... Um, we're gonna we're gonna try to do that. The um, again the same theme at the end, just as these people come out, the sons and daughters, and they and you see them, and you're like, oh yeah, the Lord was just in destroying the city. Now it's another picture, and that's with with the desolate land. When you see the desolate land, because of the uh, because of these people, you will know that he is, they acted faithlessly and they destroyed them. Sometimes a conversation comes up. I don't know if it has. Uh, amongst non-Christians, if you have those sorts of conversations, in regards to um, God's command to annihilate all the Canaanites, right? So we're going to get this in our daily prayer when we get through Exodus. We're going to get up to the border, but we're not actually going to go into the promised land, sorry, in the daily prayer, because we're going to move to um, um, Passion Tide readings here pretty soon. I think one more week of Exodus. The um, The... You know, God commands Joshua and, and the army hosts of Israel to go in and to destroy them all, to kill them all. Everybody in the land, because it's now going to be their land. God's dispossessing the Canaanites and he's giving it to the Israelites. Not because they deserve it, but because he promised it. Right? They've actually demonstrated not exactly the most faithful behavior for the last 40 or so years in the wilderness, right? Um, I mean, look at that. And then, well, that seems unjust. Right? Why take some, one person's land and give it to another? Oh, this would be like uh, Russia saying, you know, we want Ukraine. And, you know, we're not going to make you leave or anything. We just want to run it. We want it to be our land. Okay. Right? And they're like, well, that's not just, right? That's what we say. It's not right, even though it used to be theirs, and now it's not again. You might actually think of the land of Israel as another one. I mean, the Palestinians are still upset about it, and will be forever. You know, these people hold grudges for thousands of years, so... Um, this is going to be like good luck seeing any resolution to that until Jesus comes, right? And so we look at the destruction of the Canaanites, but I think what we miss is the reason, and the reason is because they're idolaters. They've rejected the faith. They should know the faith. They should remember it from Abraham or from Noah. Or, you know, it goes back many millennia, but. They rejected and they worshipped the gods of Baal and Asherah, which they invented with their own hearts. Right? Um, and God chooses to destroy them then rather than later. But there, you know, what we see is that ultimately he will destroy 
um, and condemn those unbelieving people and nations. You say, well, is he just in doing that? Well, yeah, because they've rejected him. They don't want to be his people, so he doesn't want to be their God anymore. See ya. You know? And it doesn't seem fair. Um, what about repentance and forgiveness of sins? Well, you know, like we see with Pharaoh, right? Moses is sent to Pharaoh many times over the span of a great many months saying, basically repent and let the people go. Change your heart, return to God, trust in him. He even says, bless me at the end, right? After his firstborn son is dead. And even then, his heart changes pretty quickly and he returns to faithlessness, right? And hunts him down. All right. So, uh, Dorothy, I know that is the appropriate response to what's happening here. <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, vine, um, it could be tree. If you were wondering, like, why is there a, vin a vine growing in the midst of a forest? Did you wonder about that? Because usually vines aren't growing. Well, I mean, there's vines in forests, but a vineyard? No. Um, there's all sorts of things we could talk about there. It could mean just tree, because that word you know, can be translated either way. Um, but um, I think when it talks about it being burned on both ends, then you do think of a vine, right? That's growing horizontally. Uh, but tree is helpful because uh, those two meanings kind of come together in, uh, in the proper preface for Lent. Not in service four, but service one, two, and three, and five. Four has a different thing, uh, but I quoted it here for you. In the proper preface for Lent, we say that he who by a tree once overcame may likewise by a tree be overcome. Now, yes, so now you're thinking of what well, our Old Testament text today, right? The, the tree that over... What was the tree that overcame them? The knowledge of good and evil, right? Yeah, in the midst of the garden. But then you draw the connection to the cross, which is, of course, made out of wood. Kind of a tree, although it's kind of a dead tree, isn't it? Well, it's a tree that brings death anyway, right? Yes. Sing my tongue the glorious battle, which did we sing that last week? Yeah. We did, yeah. None in cross or none in foliage, none in blossom, none thine equal fruit thine equal be. Right. So that, that hymn, which is by Fortunatus in the fifth century, fourth century, fourth century. Um, and that you see this all over in the ancient uh, Christian writers, is that um, that the cross has fruit that grows on it, but the fruit is Christ. Right? And he, when he gives his body and his blood to us, you know, as the fruit of the cross for forgiveness, life, and salvation. So you have that inversion of the two trees, right? Um, but you also have this language of vine, and I should have grabbed my altar book. I don't have it in, in here. But um, Jeremiah picks up on this language, so does Isaiah, of Israel being um, a vine that's either bearing bad fruit or is bearing no fruit. And I had a question after midweek service a couple weeks ago about the fig tree. Remember, the, there's two fig tree stories in the Gospels, both during Holy Week. And the one, Jesus comes and it's bearing no figs, out of season, which the author is careful to tell us. It's not the season for bearing figs. And yet, he's like, there's no figs on it, and he curses it. <laughs> 
right? And the other one, he comes and he said, and they say, well, leave it alone. And then they come back to the tree again and it's still not bearing fruit. And then he curses it. So there's two different ways the story is told. Maybe it's the same story, or two different stories. It doesn't matter. The point is that's another picture of Israel. He comes to it and it's to be bearing fruit because that's what trees do, fig trees do, and it's not. And so the curse comes because they're simply refusing to be who they've been given to be, right, as Israel. So, um, and then also the vine is described as um, a wild vine, meaning it's growing where it's not been planted. It, um, you know, it's, it's doing that which isn't what it's supposed to be doing, right? Rather than being cultivated, the picture that the gospel gives of, of you, of his people, is that you are the well-cultivated vine. I am the branch, or I am the vine, you are the branches, right? He's the well-cultivated uh, vine that you are grafted onto, right? Like, and who, grafting is, is, is something that you, know, you do in cultivation, right? And for what? Creating hybrids, I guess, right? No. But it's not something that happens naturally. It's done to you, right? And so that's the picture there, too. All sorts of things going on. All uh, right. So where were we? Son of man, how does a wood of the vine surpass any wood and the vine branch that is among the trees of the forest? All right. And so uh, the idea of the vine is interesting because you don't take a grapevine and use it for any, you don't use it for wood. You can't like turn it into a chair or a table. I guess you could make little pegs out of it. Maybe. I don't know. I'm looking. Mike does woodwork. I, I mean, I suppose you could put it on the lathe, maybe. I've seen all sorts of like weird woods that they put on lathes to make things. Yeah. But it's not also that large a diameter. It's flexible, not straight. That's right. It's like fibrous, right? Instead of, it doesn't have a lot of grain to it. So it's not really good for that. Yeah. So what's it good for? Could you make a rope? Maybe, if it's not too dry. All right. Do people take a peg from it to hang a vessel on it? The answer is rhetorical question. No. No. Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. That's all it's good for. If it's not bearing fruit, that's all it's good for. Just be cut down and to be burned. Uh, that's so good, but <laughs> anyway. When the fire has consumed both ends of it, the middle of its chars, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it's charred can it ever be used for anything? So this is the simile, right? And then he's going to say, because, oh, this is actually because therefore, but it does sound like law, doesn't it? Because it's not good for anything, then therefore it's going to be cut down and burned and that's it. All right. Um, I gave you some notes here. The vineyard and grapevine are common biblical images for the church. We've already talked about this. Uh, for Israel, Judah, for Jerusalem in the Old Testament, for Christ and Christians in the New Testament. All right. The metaphor appears in Jacob's blessing. Dorothy. I see you're up. Can you, can you tone it down? Quiet whisper. Thank you. I'm performing, as you can tell. All right, who, who was this blessing to? Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough, bough by, this, by a spring. His branches 
run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him, harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved, or his bow, I should say. Is it bow? Bow? I don't know. His arms are made agile by the mighty hands, or by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there is, shh, for there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. All right. So this is all in the blessing of Joseph. He's likened to being a fruitful bow um, in the, by a spring with branches running over the wall. All right. So that's interesting. Then uh, Deuteronomy 32. This will be for Israel. Mm, pretty long. We have to go pretty far in here. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Where are we? Here we go. Uh, we'll start at 31. There it is. For their rock is not as our rock. Oh, those. this is actually the foreign nations. Uh, our enemies are by themselves, for their vine comes from the vine of Sodom. Ooh, that's not good. And from the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. All right. So when we read about, when we read about, you know, the fruits of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, here we're hearing about the, the fruits of the gifts of the spirit that are actually not of the spirit, but of the devil, right? I guess we'd say. So the question that when you hear about I am the branch or I am the vine, you are the branches, uh, the point of that uh, analogy or simile by Jesus is it actually it, incent- it matters who you're grafted onto. That's one way to say it, right? Because that's the source of your life, right? Whatever whatever is carried up in the vine is then given to the branches. Um, so think about today, like it matters who you listen to especially for faith and for life, right? Um, I know a lot, it's very popular to just tell people to shut off the TV, uh, which on the whole, I think most of us have probably done at this point, you know? Although when I visit like homebound or nursing home people, they always have either CNN or Fox News playing nonstop. And I imagine that, I mean, just like, what is that doing to your brain? Right, because it's what you're listening to. Of course, if the, I, don't, I don't know, is that worse than turning to the religious programming channel? Because I imagine what they're going to be hearing there is spiritually disastrously bad, mostly. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't matter what you're listening to or who you're listening to. This is why podcasting is helpful. Right? You can pick and choose. You can find trustworthy, reliable people that exegete the scripture faithfully and listen to that. Or if you're going to listen to secular things, you know, things that have to do with this world, you find people who are trustworthy and and not manipulative. And, uh, otherwise, what's going to come out of you? Yeah, poison, right? Yeah. So that's whew, that's pretty pretty terrible. Uh, how about Isaiah 63? See, we have a little time to look at all the references today. Isaiah 63. All right. Who is this who comes from Edom? Oh, who are we talking about here? In crimson garments from Basra? That place still exists, doesn't it? I feel like I've heard that in the news. Yeah. He who is, is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Hmm. Who's that? Jesus. Thank you. Okay, then we ask, why is your apparel red and your garments like he who treads in the winepress? 
What? Yeah. And then he says, I have trodden in the winepress alone. I alone, right? And from the peoples, no one was with me. All right. Oh, there we have a hymn about this. About the grapes of wrath are stored. Right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, here we go. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. This is a Good Friday reading, isn't it? Their lifeblood spattered on my garments. So there the, the blood of the grapes, or the, the juice of the grapes is likened to blood. Yeah. And stained all my apparel. There you go, Gabe. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. So that, I mean, that's it's such a beautiful way of confessing the, the two-edged sword that St. Paul talks about. So there, it's, it's vengeance, but it's also redemption at the same time when Christ comes again. All right. It's just a matter of, the only distinction is faith, how, it's, how he's received. Yeah. I looked, but there was no one to help. We do hear this on Good Friday. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Uh, this is our response then. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord. <laughs> That's how we respond to that kind of language. It's like... Uh, enough of that, Jesus. I'm going to tell you about your steadfast love, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness of the house of Israel. In other words, like you heard in the sermon today, I hear, I hear the law speaking. I'm going to return to the promises now, Got it? As, as Isaiah does. That he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, here we go, remind God of his promises, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But, right, this is just recalling the history of God's people. He saves them, but then they they rebel. And they grieve his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy. Don't make God your enemy. You see what happens. And he himself fought against them, then, it's only for a time, right? My, my anger is only for a moment, steadfast love for eternity, right? Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people, right? And that's actually why, as we were talking about the Passover this week in the daily prayer, why God appointed that day to be remembered every year for eternity, so that you never forget what God had done for them, delivered them from bondage and slavery in Egypt, Right? This is like, you know, it'd be like saying to God, well, yeah, I know you did that before, but or did you even, I don't even remember you doing anything before because I stopped reading your Bible. <laughs> you know, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you'd have life in his name. That's what John says of the gospel, but I think it applies to the whole scripture. Don't forget that God, what God has done for you. And it's only when forgetting, you turn away from the promise and you turn back to yourself. All right, so you got the idea there. Context-wise. Um, and then there's plenty of that language in uh, the blood of the grapes in Revelation. Oh, I feel like we should look at one of those. Don't you think? Yeah. Because we keep talking about Revelation, but we don't actually spend much time there. Um, what verse did I say? 
see if I got the verses right. I did this two weeks ago, so now my memory's not so good. Uh, oh, we have a white horse. Oh, that's a better horse than the other ones. Whew. Uh, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I mean, this is written by the evangelist John, is what my argument is. Uh, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. It's just quite a picture, isn't it? He's dipping and dripping in blood, but he's on a white horse, right? And so, you're, and John, John's uh, apocalypse here, you have that contrast of you're made clean in the blood of the Lamb. Like, wait a minute, how is it that if I'm washed in blood, I'm clean? That seems like, right? But there's that. It's almost a paradox of that the blood actually makes one holy, right? Sets one apart. All right. Oh, there he is. Uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Oh, that's a nice picture. For which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Whew. And then the angel, oh, thank goodness, says, Come, gather for the great supper of God. Because <laughs> that vision was a little bit, that was a little bit hard to see. All right. I mean, it is good. It's, it's our, as, as we saw in, where was that? In Genesis, right? No, in Deuteronomy. It's vengeance against unbelievers, against God's enemies, but it's redemption for the people who believe, which is good for us. We want God to overthrow the enemies of faith so that we no longer have them assaulting us day and night, right? Yeah, okay. And I know that scene, I mean, the church militant section in the hymnal, each generation of hymnal gets smaller and smaller, because that, oh, that language is just a little too, well, it's just too violent, that's all. So we love church triumphant, and we like trust and hope, and, you know, but that there's like onward Christian soldiers, right? That's, I mean, that's it. Yeah. That reminds me, I asked Matt a lot the other day, I said a lot of people I know in other denominations talk about Jesus all the time. Which yeah. Rightly so. Yeah, yeah. But they never seem to talk about God the Father. Hmm. And I asked Matt that, I said, why is that? Yeah. And you had a different point of view. What was your answer? Uh, the law side, side for them? For them, yeah. Yeah. But they look at that as like... Yeah, they have daddy issues. They want to feel good. Right, but that's not the Jesus we meet in the Bible anyway. Right. Right. So my, my argument would be... The reason they don't speak of God the Father as he's presented in the scripture is that Jesus says the only way you can know about him is through, through him. No one can know the Father except the Son and to whom the Son reveals him. So it is Jesus who reveals to us the character of the Father. Oh, that's John's gospel, right? So, so the reason why they don't speak of God the Father is because they don't want to hear what Jesus has to say about him. They prefer to have the Marcionite Old Testament God, the mad, the mad king in the Old Testament, and then the kind and gentle king of the New Testament, which is not the presentation in the Bible. It's, God is, is righteous in his wrath, right? But he's gracious and merciful for the sake of his um, steadfast love and mercy, right? At the same time, same God, same person. And the Father and the Son never do anything apart from one another along with the Spirit, all right? It's not like the Father does one thing and the Son does another thing. Um, 
a lamb goes on complaining forth, we're going to sing many times here in Lent, uh, especially at our midweeks, because um, just all the confession that's in there, and it fits with the, uh, what are we doing on midweeks? Christian questions and their answers, right? Um, but, it, but he has that dialogue. Uh, this, uh, Jesus says, yes, Father, yes, willingly, I'll do what you command me. Your will is my, your will is my, just decree, yeah, anyway, you'll have to look at the lyrics in that one. So it has that dialogue between the Father and the Son, and, they, and it's complete, they're op, operating in harmony, especially, you see this in the Gospels. So pay attention during Holy Week in particular for that. So I, I would suggest is that they don't want the Jesus that's given to us in the Bible, but that then the extension of that is that then by denying Jesus as he is in the Bible, then they lose the Father as well, because Jesus is revealing to us the Father through his actions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now you can always take things too far, right? Because then you could say, well, okay, I'd rather have no more Mr. Nice Guy Jesus, right? You know, and all he is is wrath and destruction and, and you know, punishment and guilt. And it's like, well, that's not who we meet either, right? So we don't want to go to that extreme. Um, there's a dichotomy, right? Law and gospel. Gospel predominating. So, yeah, interesting question. That would, my, that would be my theory, anyway. Um, I think it's just that, well, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a common aspect is that you pull out a few texts that you like and then you ignore the whole picture, right? But here, like you saw in Isaiah 63, it doesn't sound like, in Revelation 19, you don't, it doesn't really sound like the Jesus that, you know, is only kind and merciful and picks you up and puts you on his shoulders. It's like, no, if you want, to, if you want him to be your enemy, then you can meet the other, you know, Jesus as he, Approach of sin, outside the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and then, of course, fruit of the vine, sacrament of the Lord's body and blood, right? You see that in, I gave you the citations. All right, Psalm 80 is another good one to, to keep in mind with this text. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. All right, you've heard this. Um, where do we want to jump in? Here it is. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it, right? So this is the, both the, ex, the, excuse me, the return from exile in Egypt and the conquering of Canaan, right? You cleared the ground for it. Notice who's doing all the work. This is why they don't want to go to the promised land. They think they're going to have to defeat the Canaanites the first time with Moses. And God's like, uh, I'm giving you this land, which means... I'm going to do it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys are the ones who defeated Pharaoh and, and all the Egyptians, right? It just shows how easy we want to start to creep in and take credit. All right. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This sounds like uh, under David, probably. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that, please, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn, O God, again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you made strong for yourself. And then think of this in, in light of what we read, Ezekiel 15. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down, 
May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself, Jesus. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. All right. So there's, there's another picture of that. And then probably the biggest one is Isaiah 5. And then we'll have to move on for the sake of time. Um, Isaiah 5, this is the song, sometimes called the song of the vineyard. And this is the one that we hear on Good Friday, chief service, afternoon service. So take off work if you have to work. And uh, uh, it's called the reproaches. So that I actually speak in the Lord's voice. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing for me. I think it's like the only time in any of our liturgical things where pastor just sings Jesus parts. Um, and it's not the most pleasant thing to hear because it's this. Let me sing, and also Hosea, by the way. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall be not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. All right. I could keep reading, but that's probably good for now. Now, this is Isaiah. This is a, probably about 100 years before Ezekiel. All right. So it's in the context. I would argue it's part of the context of what we're hearing there. Where were we? Oh, I'm way in a different place. Not that. Not that. Boy, we looked at a lot of things. There we are. All right. So it's very polemical. It's speaking against them. And you'll see similar things from Jeremiah and Hosea, both of which are in the Good Friday service as well. Um, but you have the destruction of the vine, which is actually a picture of what the destruction of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. But then you have Christ coming, and he is now the new Israel. He is the, uh, what you call it, the temple, not made with hands. Um, we are his people. His where he is is Zion or Jerusalem, right? And then that, and then he says that we are the we are grafted onto him, and now are you know good branches of, of a good tree because he's the good tree. So what was missing in all the Old Testament pictures is God who saves, right? What happened with these vines? They cut themselves off from the source of their life, which was the God who made promises to them. Right? And then, of course, they, they bore only wild or bad grapes because they had no nourishment, right? Probably literally devouring themselves. And then Christ comes and says, no, I'm, I'm going to be... I Actually, Christ comes and says, what? What, is, what does the evangelist say? He's the stump of Jesse, right? Yeah. So it's it's been cut down and burned and... All that's left is a stump, and yet out of that stump comes life, and then we're grafted onto that tree or that vine, 
and given life. See John 15. See, gospel! Yay! <laughs> Yay! All right. And then I said, therefore, oops, well, I guess my sermon doesn't apply. Because therefore, uh, that's not gospel here. <laughs> All right. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to fire for fuel, so I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, so another way to think about this, Dorothy, another way to think about this is the way that um, when, we, when we run against who God has made us, then God brings his judgment upon us, right? So uh, we can see this with, I think, pretty vividly at the moment with like gender and sexuality issues, right? The way that people are running contrary to the way that God had made them, even though they say this is how God made me. Um, and that it actually goes, it doesn't go well for them, right? And finally, we're starting to hear some regrets, right? Like, I, um, especially with people having, you know, various kinds of gender mutilation surgeries, right? And they're like, I wish somebody had said something. You know, that's generally the common refrain. My parents didn't say anything. The doctors didn't say They all encouraged me to do this thing. By the way, it's big business. Yeah, they make good money. Uh, and don't ask what they do with all those parts that they remove. Or, or ask. And yeah, you don't want to know. It's the same thing. It's, very sim- it's the same industry that also uses aborted fetuses. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, it's not illegal to have severed body parts on your person. I didn't know that. You'd think you would have to like explain, like if you got pulled over, like I have a bunch of arms. <laughs> but you don't. Now, if you go across state lines, yeah. interstate travel, then that's, that's illegal. But this is this is the same thing with like if somebody dies and you need to take them home, you can't take them across state lines. You have to work with the morticians to do that because you have to have permits and licenses to move bodies across state lines. Did you know that? It includes body parts. I had a customer come through the drive-up one day, and he was on his way back to Tennessee, and his brother had died while he was in the back. He was taken. I don't know if he was in a box or what, but it was just unbelievable. No, not like, like, ground up into powder with ashes in a bag. That's not illegal. You can do that. Yeah. Cremated remains. Yeah, cremated. Well, he's going to Tennessee. Okay, yeah. They have to get permission from the Yeah, you have to get permits across every line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you pay them to do it, it's expensive because you have to pay every one of those homes along the route. It's like the worst Uber trip ever. All right. All right, so what did I write? Uh, Let's see. Uh, As with any metaphor, it's not exact, of course. Jerusalem had been God's church and state on earth, right? Not separate. This is not to be misunderstood as determinism or predestination for damnation, all right? That he's destroying this grapevine. It's not like he chose to do this from eternity. That's what we're saying there. Right? God did not make the people Jerusalem in order to destroy them. Right? Did he know that they would rebel against him and that he would destroy them? Yes. But that isn't what he made them for. 
Does that make sense? Is that what Calvinism says? Mm, some Calvins. Yeah. Yeah, some do. Yeah, that God. That screwed me when I was listening to him. God created some to redeem and some to destroy. Now, most, what I would say, faithful Calvinists will condition this and they'll say, no, 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 John 3.16 is still true. God, Jesus died for the sins of the whole cosmos, for all people. That's true, but, um, but it's not received by everybody in faith. Okay, well, that, that's basically what we say too. Yeah, but they say that God knew that when he was dying, he knew, but he knew, this is where they get a little tricky. They say, yes, he died for the sins of the world, but he also, that, that was not efficacious for those who would deny him. You don't have to, I mean, this is philosophical stuff. Does, I, does that make any sense? I don't know. It does? Even though he died for them, it wasn't efficacious for them, because if it was efficacious, then they would have been converted and believed. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we say, actually, he died for everybody and nobody believed in him, right? It wasn't like some people were born for faith and some people were born, no, nobody believed, but it's only a working of the spirit that anyone believes. Yeah, so it's just a different way of saying it. Um, same thing here with Jerusalem. So uh, this is not to be misunderstood. Israel's consignment to the flames was no matter of God's eternal immutable will. We, the technical term is antecedent meaning that's what he always was going to do to them. And they didn't have any choice about it. It was fatal, fatalistic, right? God's not fatalistic that way. But his consequent will, right? It was all a consequence of their behavior, of the rebellious behavior. Did he know that that was going to happen? Sure. Same reason why he could make a promise to Adam and Eve, as well as a curse to the serpent, right, about the offspring that would crush that serpent's head even though that's not going to come for many thousands of years later, right? Because he already knows the plan, right? Is that I've got to save these people and I'm going to send my son to do it. Yeah. So that then Paul can say like in Colossians or Ephesians, like maybe it's both in various ways, right? That Christ was crucified from before the foundation of the world. So God always knew that his son would come to die for the sins his son yeah thanks james for correcting my grammar it must be coming along there you go his decree is a consequence of jerusalem's violation of his covenant and rejection of him the, the waves of exiles have been taken 605 and 597 bc already and jerusalem's destruction in a few years 587 bc but jerusalem would be the site of the greatest acts of redemption as well right Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. So then Jerusalem serves as an earthly type of the eternal city in the new heavens and new earth. And there I gave you citations. Jerusalem serves as the type of the final destruction at the end of the world at Christ's return. And at the same time, it's a picture of the eternal city of the new heavens and the new earth. The same place. Right? It's just like the same word can cut both ways when it comes to God's word. All right. Um, it's just, yeah, so it's destruction, the last paragraph there, is part of God's design, desiring all men to be saved, but doing so in a cruciform way, all right? Nobody is converted to faith by an easy, you know, well-fed and secure life. It doesn't happen because they have no need for God, right? Right? 
Fat, dumb, and happy doesn't. Not, you don't need a savior. <laughs> what do I need to be saved from? Everything's great, right? Yeah. So he does it through suffering, shame, guilt, and crime. We sang that really vividly in that last hymn, which thankfully was very fast since it had ten stanzas. <laughs> Isn't that a lovely hymn? Oh, Gerhard is Gerhard is so vivid and just like no that uh, second to last stanza. No, 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 no. Right? I got the idea. I got the picture. All right. There are themes, again, of the city's well-deserved judgment by fire. But again, though a remnant will be preserved by grace and a people would experience a kind of resurrection to new life by the Spirit. But for that, you're going to have to wait till chapter 37. (laughs) Okay? Where the vine is resurrected. Yes, it's cut down and it's destroyed. But what does Jesus do with dead people? He raises them from the dead. Yeah. So even if you suffer his judgment unto death, you receive the crown of eternal life, right? Which chapter is the 37. Why I said that. Oh, look at that. You're right with me. There's, a, there's gospel before that, but that's, that's the resurrection of the body, right? Is there. All right, good. Uh, anything else? I said it was me short. Mm, oh, well. See you in an hour. Go in peace. Bye. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.